0: Well, we're in the second week of a message series on families called Picture-Perfect Family. And, you know, like the video, I think that we can sometimes get uh, trapped into thinking that everybody else has that picture-perfect family, while ours is kind of the picture-perfect family fail, right? And the reality is that life in a broken world works against perfection, amen? And uh, there are no picture-perfect families. And and you know there are some with less wrinkles but every family um has its struggles. And this morning we're going to be talking about the struggles that come with being part of a blended family. And I know that that's not true for all of you, but I don't I'm asking you not to check out yet and I'm going to give you three reasons not to. The first is that the principles that we're learning today apply to every family. It's just when you're in a blended family You have more outside uh, forces that will make you be more intentional about these things in order to bring them about in your family. And then the second is that the vast majority of us, even if we're not in a blended family, know someone who is. And God may want to use you to bring these uh, principles and these uh, truths to them and into their life, to speak them into their life. And then finally, the reality is that the church is a blended family. I mean, God has adopted us all into his family in different ages and different backgrounds. We bring different uh, perspectives to this. We have different ideas about how the family ought to go and plans and all that kind of thing. And so um, God has brought us together, pulled us together, made a family out of us, and... um, we have a purpose. God wants us to show his love to the world, to be a light. And if we're going to do that, we have to apply the same principles uh, that our healthy families need in order for us to bring all these personalities together and be going the same direction. So to help us talk about these things, we're going to look at the story of a man named Jacob. And we, we talked about his story this past spring. Uh, we're going to look at it in a different little perspective today and then we're going to talk about four ways that you can lead your family to be all that God created it to be. Now the interesting thing about um, one of the interesting things about the Old Testament is that most of the families in the Old Testament are blended families. Uh, Today we get blended families and step families through uh, divorce or the death of a spouse or a single parent marries another person who has children of their own and so these uh blended families are formed in that way but in the old testament um there wasn't a lot of remarriage uh although there was some of that for the most part they had blended families in the old testament because the men were married to more than one wife so if you're in a blended family and you think your ex uh, your husband's ex-wife is exasperating Imagine living in the same house with, with them, you know. Uh, it was complicated. And the fact of the matter is that most of the stories in the Old Testament of these blended families didn't really go very well. And in Jacob's case, uh, it could hardly have gone worse. Uh, but God used him. He used the mistakes in his life and in his family. And in the end, he actually blessed the whole world Through that family Jesus is a descendant of Jacob So if you have your Bibles And you want to turn to Genesis 25 We're going to to look Quite quickly at Jacob's uh, story Because we have gone over it before But um, Genesis chapter 25 And I want to just give you A little background for his story Um, Jacob was a twin Uh, His mother was Uh, had gotten a little bit older and long in life and still hadn't had children, and yet God blessed her with not just one son but two. And when they were born, Esau was born first, and it says in uh, chapter 25, verse 26, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob because that means one who grasps. And this was the start of kind of a a painful sibling rivalry. As an adult, uh, Jacob tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright. Uh, As the firstborn uh, in that culture, the firstborn was given a double portion of his father's estate. Jacob tricked him out of that. And then he conspired with his mother to uh, get his father's blessing, which was again supposed to go to the firstborn, but Jacob... Uh, tricked Isaac and got Esau's blessing away from him. So you can kind of imagine that Esau was about to be done with Jacob. And and so um, uh, Jacob's parents sent him away to another country, <laughs> get him out of here, uh, to go and find a wife among uh, um, Isaac's relatives. And so he makes this long trip to Haran. And the first person that he meets, or one of the first, is his cousin Rachel, and she's just beautiful. And uh, Rachel invite invites him, or uh, they invite him into his home, into Laban's home, his uncle's home. And so Jacob lives there with this family. And uh, and a little few months, or a month into it, uh, Laban says to Jacob, "You know, it's not right that you work for me for free, just because you're a relative. Just go ahead and name your wage." And Jacob was in love with Rachel, uh, so he uh, told him. uh, Let's look at the wage rate. Uh, We've got the scripture here for that. Maybe. Yeah, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel. And here's the description Leah had weak eyes, not sure what that means, but Rachel had a lovely figure. Pretty sure what that means, and it was beautiful. And Jacob was in love with Rachel, and said, "I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel." So Laban agrees to this, and Jacob works for seven years uh, for this uh, for this daughter. And it says in the scripture that it went by like it was just a day because he was fixed on the prize. And then after seven years, he goes to Laban, and, and he says, Look, you know, I've, I've worked the seven years. I want my wife. And so Laban says, Sure. And, uh, but Jacob is about to get schooled in deception. I mean, he's, he's deceived his brother. He's been the one who deceives. But now he's going to have that flipped over and uh, learn the other side of it. And so on his wedding night, uh, Laban sends the older daughter, Rachel, into the tent. And it says that when Jacob woke up in the morning, he woke up to the nightmare that would be his life, um, would unfold over the rest of his life. It says when he woke up, when the morning came, there was Leah. Surprise, right? And, of course, Jacob was angry about this. He'd been deceived, and he, he went to Laban, and he said, what is this that you've done to me? I've worked seven years for Rachel, and now... Uh, You've given me Leah and Jacob, and uh, Laban says, "You know what? In this culture, we don't marry off our younger daughter before the older." And he said, "Just you know, cool your jets, uh, fulfill your marriage week, and then I'll give you Rachel next week, uh, but you will have to work seven more years for me." So Jacob agreed to this, and and um, then after the week was over, uh, he was given Rachel in marriage. And so uh, that was the beginning of a very painful time in Jacob's life because um, after that, it says in verse 30, when he was given Rachel his wife, verse 30, Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. And then in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive But Rachel remained childless. And in verse 32, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And that starts this kind of all-out war for Jacob's affection. And uh, Rachel sees that Leah is having babies and that kind of, you know, Jacob is paying attention to them. And so she's not having babies. She gives Jacob her servant girl, Bilhah, and so he has a baby with her, and then uh, Leo sees that, and she's not having babies. So she gives him Zilpa, and so he's having babies with Zilpah. And, and uh, then um, I guess, you know, he's the only one having fun here. But uh, they eventually God sees that um, Rachel, the pain that Rachel's having. And in verse uh, 22 of chapter 30, we read, Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her, and he enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, "'God has taken away my disgrace.'" So Rachel has a son. She names him Joseph. Later on, she has another son uh, named Benjamin. And you've got this very conflicted, very large, blended family. And things were really complicated And the fact of the matter is that most of the stories in the Old Testament are are that way. Jacob made quite a a mess of it, but there are some things that we can learn from his story and from Scripture. So if you want to pull out your message notes, we're going to look at these uh, four ways to lead your family to be all God created it to be. And the first is uh, to be rooted in Christ and ask God to give you a vision for what your family can be. Uh, root your family in Christ. Make Christ the center of your house. Uh, God has a pl- had a plan for Jacob's family. Uh, his intention was that uh, that family would be the foundation of the na- nation of Israel. But Jacob didn't grasp that until later on in life, and he didn't lead his family well. And whether you're part of a blended family or not, God has a purpose for your family. He has a purpose for his church family. He has a purpose for every marriage. And, you know, I've talked to couples um, that are entering into um, uh, another marriage who have been divorced. And they're creating this new family. And often there's this fear. What if I blow it again? Or, Or they have guilt about their divorce. The reality is that while God can turn marriages around dramatically, I've had the joy of seeing God do that three times in three different marriages just in the, the last year, I mean, 180-degree turnaround. And God can do that. Uh, but sometimes divorce and remarriage gives moms and dads an opportunity to provide a better marriage model and a positive male or female parenting model for their children that they wouldn't have had if they had stayed in the first marriage. God can provide redemptive answers to a broken past and he has a purpose for every marriage and every family and as you stay rooted in Jesus Christ uh, and pray and ask him, he'll unfold that and show you uh, how to be the family he intends you to be. Then the second uh, thing to do is uh Unlike Jacob, avoid showing favoritism. Uh, I'm standing here, and honestly, I don't really uh, have any experience as a step parent. So I don't know what it is like to walk that road and to deal with some of the things that you have to deal with if you're a part of a blended family. Um, But when it comes to going through the joy and the struggles, of incorporating someone else's child into your life. I I do have experience with that. I have been there. Uh, Forrest and I adopted a 13-year-old girl from Brazil uh, who didn't speak any English, so if you think you can't talk to your (laughs) 13-year-old, try adopting one that uh, speaks Portuguese. So... um, We had two children of our own at the time who were 12 and 13, and it was just uh, an extremely difficult transition. She had been in an orphanage since she was six with hundreds of other kids, and she didn't really um, know how to relate in a family setting. And so growing to love her uh, in the same way as I loved my own children didn't come easily. And and I really struggled with it. And so I get this piece about loving someone else's child and trying to treat them equally. It's not easy. But it's so important that you get this right for your children's sake and for your sake, for your marriage's sake. Uh, You know, because if you follow Jacob's story out to the end uh, and the the result of his favoritism of Rachel's child, uh, Joseph, I mean, his brothers sell him into slavery. And um, the lesson there is that if you want your children to love and be a source of support to each other uh, throughout their lives instead of belittling each other and ruining the self-esteem of one another, and so that some of them sell themselves into slavery, to drugs and to alcohol and that kind of thing, Uh, if you want your children to... um, be there for each other throughout their life, then you need to treat them with the equal care and love right now. Then the third thing um, is to make every effort to live in peace with everyone. And, and that comes right from Hebrews 12, 4. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. And everyone includes uh, ex-spouses and extended families and for your marriage sake, for your children's sake, then you need to make every effort to have a peaceful house and home. Uh, healthy families learn how to deal with conflict and move on so they're not having the same arguments over and over. And there are several passages of scripture that will help you to do this and to know how to do it. And we don't have to time to go through all those, but I did list them in your bulletin. Um, learning how to speak the truth in love, how to forgive uh, as you've been forgiven, to say only those things that build one another up, to, to not be easily irritated. Love covers over uh, a multitude of uh, sins. So there are many instructions in Scripture, and we're told to make every effort to live at peace. But the reality is uh, we can't control other people's decisions and emotions. And some people don't want to live at peace. And we're all at different places in our spiritual life. Some people don't have the spiritual maturity to, to move towards peace. And they can't or they won't forgive past hurts. And they continue to inflict pain on you or your family. You may have an ex-spouse who tries to sabotage your family. And I like what Paul says in the book of Romans about this. Uh, this is our memory verse for this week, so let's read it together. Romans 12:18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Romans 12:18. As much as it's within your control, you know, you can't control the other person, but when the ball's in your court, you can choose not to hit it back. Uh, not to mix your metaphors here, but uh, if they're pulling on the end of a rope, uh, trying to start a tug-of-war, just don't pick up the rope. You know, you you have those kinds of choices. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's just going to make your home a more loving environment uh, to raise kids in. And then number four, be patient and push through. Uh, I was reading uh, that psychologists say that it takes four to eight years for a remarried family to gel um, and to begin to feel like a family. And then um, yet the divorce rate for remarriages with children is almost 65%, and almost all of those divorces occur in the first four years. So that's before the families had a chance to blend and to bond to each other. So push through. Just continue to push through, and you know I doubt that very many people realize how long it takes for a family to bond. That it, it takes four to eight years, sometimes a little bit longer than. And so that takes perseverance and patience to push through to become the field, the, the family that builds one another up, and is a source of joy and strength. It takes time to create a home. Where you can trust one another, that's safe, and everyone feels accepted and loved. Because you know you're dealing with all these extended families, and and um, it just takes a while to get that balance in your home. So push through, and God will uh, be with you to do that. Now I've got a fifth thing here. I didn't know whether this is uh, fits under the four things to lead your family to be all that God. Uh, cause you to be or more like a, a healing piece but um, the fifth thing is to trust God to do the work of balancing scales and I want to close kind of talking to those of you who were maybe the Leah in your family um, maybe you grew up in a home where you just couldn't measure up to your parents expectations or you couldn't compete with that favorite son or favorite daughter of moms or dads and maybe like Leah you felt unloved and that's left you with some scars that's um, a wound that you still carry around and I have a word for you this morning and that is that Jesus loves you, that God loves you and he doesn't have any favorites. He just absolutely doesn't. You're, uh, You're his beloved beloved child and he's able to bring good Out of every circumstance. Um, This past week, I was reading in the book of Proverbs and um, getting ready for my next message series, which is uh, how to foolproof your life. And um, I came across this passage of Scripture that I needed myself this week. And I I think uh, there are some of you here that might need to hear this as well this morning. It's found in Proverbs 16.11. And it says, "A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are His work. All the weights in the bag are His work. And you know, God sees everything, and He allows us to make free choices. He um, sometimes make people make hurtful choices, and it may be that Jacob." Um, acted the way he did because he'd been hurt, he'd been deceived by Laban, and then Leah paid the price. But God saw that, and, you know, he loved Leah when she was unloved. And he balanced the scales, didn't he? He gave her a son, and then he gave her another son, and he gave her another son, and another son, and another son, and while Rachel had the love of her husband, you know, they were uh, going on walks and laughing around the campfire and and uh, sharing things that couples do, and Leah was sitting all alone in her tent. God balances these things out. And maybe as a child, you didn't receive the love that you longed for. Maybe your husband gives your... Uh, stepchildren, his children, more attention than than he does you. Maybe you feel slighted in some entirely different area of your life that you've been passed over for a promotion or something. You've been treated unfairly. God sees and God promises to balance the scales. That's his work. And you know, it may not be overnight. Sometimes God allows us to go through some difficult seasons in life that build our character up. He preparing us for some important work that he has in mind. But God owns all the weights in the bag, and he promises to work all things together for our good. And, you know, he may already be doing that in your life, and you're just so absorbed with the pain of uh, being overlooked or rejected or abandoned or the loss that you've suffered that that you don't see what God has put into your life, what God is doing to balance these things out. You need to shift your focus and and look for the areas where God is at work in your life, the things that he's providing to build you up, to lift you up, to to honor you, and to strengthen you. And today we're going to close a a little differently um, than we normally do. After the offering and the closing music, I'm going to be at the back. And when you leave, as you leave, uh, I'll give you a weight. And I want, that, want you to take that with you as a reminder that God is a just God. God sees our pain. Uh, he knows every detail of your life. And he is the one who owns all the weights, and he makes things right in the end. And it might not be today today. But God gets the final word, and his purposes will not be thwarted forever. God holds the weights in the bag. He works all things together for good. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we, uh, we thank you for being a loving God, for being that one that we can always trust for being steadfast and faithful and consistent that we know that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us that your love for us will never change your thoughts about us will never deviate God from thoughts of love and kindness and patience we pray that as um, we are here today God that you'll minister to the spirits of those, the hearts of those uh, who've been hurt and broken in the past, God, and help them to know that they're loved by you, that you'll balance everything out in the end, and to trust you with that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.